Welcome to the No Neutral Moments Podcast. My name is Patrick Payton, and it's my pleasure to discuss, to explore, and maybe even to discover what it means for each one of us to live our lives fully engaged, to challenge each one of us to be fully aware, and completely expecting to engage to the fullest everything we've been designed, called, and gifted to be. So with all this in mind, let's not waste any more time. Let's go ahead and get engaged. Well, welcome back to the No Neutral Moments podcast. First of all, let me just thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our podcast, for taking the time to download the podcast. A huge thanks to those of you who have taken the opportunity to give us a five-star rating so we can continue to grow and so we can continue to get the attention that we would like to get to continue to make this podcast something that more and more people are aware of and more and more people are listening to. And so I hope that you will continue to pass along the message. And just again, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. You're incredibly encouraging words. And again, a tremendous thank you to others who have, uh, well, really without them, this podcast wouldn't happen. And that's Joe Ayler and Tyler Dodds and others. So I thank you so much for that. So without any further ado, though, let's move on to... Uh, The topic of the day, depending on which day you're listening to this episode of this podcast. But let me just sort of give you a little background about what I'm going to share with you uh, in this podcast. I uh, have promised you that I'd spend time talking about issues related to faith, issues related to family, these categories of the no neutral moments lifestyle, and there are others that we have talked about. But over the last couple of weeks, I was invited to speak at a leadership banquet for high school juniors who have finished their junior year. Now they're moving into their senior year. And they're a part of this leadership academy brought to Midland and Midland College by the General Tommy Franks Institute. And so they went through this entire leadership curriculum and they had a banquet in the evening. And I was asked to speak at this banquet really to kind of give a charge And as I was preparing for the banquet, I really settled in on, to be quite frank, a speech I've given many, many times. And most every time that I have given this speech, it has been towards high school seniors at baccalaureates, or it has been towards graduating classes of leadership training institutes and so forth. And it's really just four building blocks or what I would call personal practices of a leader. In fact, many of you who are taking the time to listen to this podcast You'll listen and you'll realize I've heard him talk about this before, so I apologize to you for the repetition, but for others who have not heard it, really this is something that has been refined and worked through in my life for a very, very long time. Uh, One of the principles in particular has been refined in my life for over uh, 30 some odd years, and most of them have become a part of my, my churning away in my mind and in my leadership since about 2000. And I have just continued to work through them and work through them and make them a practice in my life. So if I were going to give this a title, and I've probably titled this speech differently every time I've given it, but I would just simply call it Four Personal Practices of a Leader. You might even call it, for the sake of this podcast, the Four Personal Practices of a No Neutral Moments Lifestyle. And for some, this will be repetitive, as I mentioned already. For some of you, this will be new. But let me just lay this out to you over the next few moments and maybe give you something to think about as you're continuing to learn what it is for you to live a life that realizes there's just not a neutral moment. I I even hope over the last couple of weeks, you've been able to realize, and well, really 
better yet, see the situations you have found yourself in and go, man, there, there's a lot of impact to be had in this particular situation. But without any further ado, let me just move on to these four personal practices of a leader or someone who's trying to engage the no neutral moments lifestyle. And the first one is very simply learning the discipline and practicing the discipline of being a reader. Yes, a reader, someone who reads. And for those of you who have listened to me for years, you know what a great passion this is of mine. It's what contributes so much to our growth. It what it what gives us a step up oftentimes when we need that step up and we need that knowledge and that information, but just the discipline of being a reader. Years ago, I think it was Harvey McKay who said that the difference between someone who chooses not to read and someone who is illiterate is nothing. And whether you like to read or not, at this point, if you're wanting to live a no neutral moment life, if you're wanting to be the leader that you have been designed, called, and gifted to be, then as many of you have heard me to, heard me say, you have to learn and practice the discipline of reading, and that means reading a lot. Now, I've also told this story of how this became a part of my life, and it goes back many, many years to about 1986, 1987, when I'm over at a friend's house whose dad says to me, so tell me, what are the things that you're reading? And I said, in the very smart-alecky way you say things when you're a, a freshman in college, I said, I don't like to read, which would become evident in my freshman year in college. But I said, I don't like to read. And this gentleman went up to a bookshelf in his house. He pulled off a book from the shelf called The Hunt for Red October by Tom Clancy. And he handed it to me and he said, don't ever let it be said of you that you're not a reader. If you want to be great, you're going to have to learn to be a reader. It, it wasn't that dramatic of a moment. But it was a moment that really impacted me. I thought about it because I knew that this gentleman was back in those early, you know, late teen years of my life. I knew he was very successful. And then I just read the book and, and it made an impact on me. And, and I just picked up this habit of reading. And it seemed like every successful person, and I don't mean successful just financially, but every successful person who I met for a string of, of months and years after that, seemed to reinforce this idea of being a reader. And so it became a part of my life where I would be reading everything I could get my hands on, and I expanded my uh, my reading beyond Sports Illustrated and just started picking up book after book after book and learning and practicing the discipline of reading. And so I hope, whether that's a discipline of yours or not, you will continue to press into that. And let me just give you some suge- some suggestions. I would really recommend that you become a student of history uh, one of the ways I really dove into history was m- many of you remember years ago when the movie Saving Private Ryan came out. And, and I realized as I was watching that movie, as, as emotionally draining as that was, that I didn't know as much about World War II and even United States history as I needed to know. So I went and just bought books about D-Day, uh, Stephen Ambrose's book, D-Day, and started reading everything Stephen Ambrose wrote. Then I began reading things that other historians wrote about World War II and just found myself reading biographies and the biography of Winston Churchill and then FDR and so on and so forth that just began to read history. Because I'm very concerned that in our world today and in our culture today, we're so caught up in the right now of information that we are forgetting the lessons of history. And you can do those things. You can become a better student of history and even a better citizen by reading history 
in being a student of history. I would also encourage you to read biographies, to find biographies of great leaders, to pick them up and read them, and to invest in learning from other people's lives. A lot of people don't agree with what I'm about to tell you, but I would encourage you to read the biographies, and I'm going to say this in somewhat of a crass way. Read the biographies of people who have been dead quite a while. We, we are a culture that loves to publish biographies of people who have just barely done anything. And so a lot of times the history of their achievements has not been proven. The, the worth of their ideas has not been proven. It hasn't been refined. So I would encourage you to read the biographies of leaders, again, crassly, who have been dead quite a long time. I would also encourage you to read outside of your comfort zone, to find authors who really would disagree with even some of your core convictions and expose yourself to ideas outside of your window of conviction. So you could begin to expand your thinking. That doesn't mean I'm telling you to challenge what you believe is true, but I am encouraging you through your reading to have your truth challenged to solidify the truth in your life. But you might even find that your mind and your life will be opened up to new ideas as long as you have the courage, and I'll talk about it a little bit later in another context, to let others challenge you. Also as a reader, I hope that your reading will shield you and protect you from the world of polarization in which we live. We are so polarized left and so polarized right that oftentimes we have forgotten how to critically think. And I think most of that is attributable to the fear of other ideas or the fear of losing something. But if you will become a broad-based reader, you will then be able to think more clearly and not be led astray by the extremes. So I hope you will practice this, this personal discipline of reading. But let me move on to the second thing. And, and by the way, as I move on, where these began to take, these four things I'm sharing with you, where they began to take shape in my life was years ago when my good friend Andy Deck was preaching a message and he told the story of a survey that had been taken of senior adults who are living in assisted living centers and so forth who were above the age of 90, and they were asked the things they would do if they could do their life over. And a couple of these things are things they said, and one of them is this next thing, which is this issue of learning the discipline and practicing the discipline of reflecting more on life. If you need a different thought process or a different word for this, you could say thinking more pausing to think more, taking the time to think about what's going on in you, around you, in your mind, in your brain, to develop this discipline of reflecting so that you can learn. I mean, you reflect to learn. You reflect to think about what you can change about yourself and what needs to be changed around you. You reflect on things about taking responsibility. You reflect on what's going on globally. And the biggest challenge to you and I adequately reflecting and thinking deeply about life is that we are constantly turned on electronically. We're constantly connected to a phone or we're constantly connected to a computer. It seems like we never take the time to just really turn off in order to think, in order to meditate, in order to really understand what's going on around us. Now, what I'm about to tell you could come across as kind of gross, 
But I remember years ago when I was being taught the practice of meditation and the individual teaching it to me said, it's kind of like when a cow chews its cud and it just chews on it and chews on it and chews on it and chews on it. And I'm not enough of a farmer to even understand what's going on there or I'm not even a farmer, I guess, but a rancher. I don't even understand all that. All I know is when he told me that, it meant you just have to chew on facts. You have to chew on truth for a long time. And I would ask you, when the last time was you just sat and thought? When when the last time was you took five minutes to pause and reflect? That you took 10 minutes to take a journal out and to just write out some thoughts? When was the last time you slowed yourself down intentionally? When was the time, as the, the ancient Hebrew scriptures say, you were still? You, you just took the time to be still, and you even sat long enough and thought long enough to still your mind, to slow your mind down. I had a friend tell me not long ago, he said, Peyton, you just vibrate all the time. For some of you, your life is constantly humming, it's constantly moving, it's constantly churning, and the discipline of a great leader something challenged into our lives by ancient scriptures and then by even those who have lived among us who have said, if I could do over it again, I'd think more. And that is pausing to be a person who thinks about life, thinks about what you're learning, just to be mundane about it, to be a thoughtful person. How are you applying the discipline of thinking, of reflecting, so that you can stop reacting and start responding well? I would tell you, you must also spend time reflecting, and this is a whole other episode, but you would reflect on your values. Because if you do not reflect on your values and solidify your values, then you will always be led by another person or another culture's values that will be imposed upon you. Again, that's a whole other episode about discovering your values, solidifying your values, and living by your values, which means knowing what you'll die for. But have you even paused long enough to reflect on what those are, or are you afraid to pause because you might realize you're being led by the values and the convictions of others that may not be yours? Well, let's go on to this third personal practice of a leader, and that's this issue of being willing to take a risk. Now, think about what I told you about the survey that was taken of these people that were over the age of 90, and they said if they could do it over again, they would risk more. You do realize in most of our lives, we spend our adult years trying to reduce risk. We, we spend our adult years trying to get to a place where everything is settled, where everything is taken care of, where we don't have to worry about anything. And now we have people telling us if they could do it all over again, they'd risk more. They would take a greater chance. They would seize that opportunity. They would consider that job. They, they would actually just say, you know what, let's go do this. But there are some areas where risk is really difficult. One is the risk to love others knowing that you will probably get hurt. One is the risk to forgive, knowing that sometimes to forgive means the hurt you felt will never really be dealt with, but you will choose to forgive. Another is just the risk to change. Sometimes change works, sometimes it doesn't, but just to take the risk to change something about your life. Another risk is just to keep trying again. When you fail to try again, 
When you, something doesn't work out, you try it again because the risk is you're going to do it again. You might fail again. You might feel that failure again, but you choose to risk again. To choose to trust even when your trust has been broken. To choose to go ahead and change the job. To choose to go ahead and resign. To choose to not even know where you're going, but say, you know what? I trust my values enough. I trust who I am enough to press into something greater. And I wrote this in my notes. We often risk little because we truly value little. In other words, what's really driving our lives is a very, very small vision of what our lives should be. And therefore, we don't take a risk. I believe those who take the greatest risks are those who have the highest values and who choose to even love the most. And so I would ask you, what risk are you wrestling with inside of you? And I'm not talking about walking to the edge of, of, of some cliff, you know, the crazy thing. If everybody jumps off a cliff, would you jump off as well? I think you know intrinsically as you're listening to me what I'm talking about. And as you are reflecting and as you are reading and as you are processing and thinking, realizing maybe there's something else I should be doing. Well, that leads me to the final thing, this final practice of these four personal practices of a leader. And that's just the issue of service. Whether it's Robert Greenleaf who coined the term servant leadership, and it's become a very popular term, even a more popular term in today's business culture. Or if it goes back again to the sayings of Jesus when he said, if you want to be great, the greatest among you will serve. There is a new generation demanding servant leadership. And and let me just fill you in on something. We spend a lot of time making fun of the millennials, but I think it's the millennial generation who is exposing our lack of servant leadership. Oftentimes, they have been surrounded by a world of taskmasters and those who tell them what to do without connection, without emotion, and without love. And now we are being tested to see if we will realize that serving people is the greatest leadership. Let me read this quote from Robert Greenleaf. It's fairly long, and I'll try to read it rather methodically. But he said this back in 1977 when his book, Servant Leadership, was published. He said, A new moral principle is emerging, which holds that the only authority deserving one's allegiance is that which is freely and knowingly granted by the led to the leader in response to and in proportion to the clearly evident servant stature of the leader. Those who choose to follow this principle will not casually accept the authority of existing institutions or quite literally positional authority. Rather, they will freely respond only to individuals who are chosen as leaders because they are proven and trusted as servants. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying just to be technically smart doesn't make you a leader. Just to know the answers does not make you a leader, but to serve makes you a leader. To the extent, he goes on and he says, to the extent that this principle prevails in the future, the only true viable institutions will be those that are predominantly servant-led. You want to know why nobody trusts local governance? You want to know why nobody trusts state governance? You want to know why most people do not 
trust the federal government, it's because a long time ago, it stopped being servant-led. You want to know why people aren't respecting you in the office? You want to know why there's tension in the office? It's because of a lack of servant leadership, not a lack of technical knowledge. And so be a leader who chooses to read. Be a leader who chooses to reflect and to think. Be a leader who chooses risk. Be a leader who chooses to serve. Because these are the four building blocks and practices of a great great leader. And I think these practices will drive you to do great things so that you can then answer the challenge of Horace Mann, the great education reformer of the 19th century, when he said, we should be ashamed to die until we have won some victory for humanity. And I believe every one of you listening to this podcast have a victory to be won for humanity, even if you think it is a brief moment that actually is not neutral, that you engage with a life well-read, a life that reflects well, a life that chooses to risk, and above all else, a life that chooses to serve. Thanks again for listening. I hope you'll continue to tune in and download the podcast. And remember, give us a five-star rating. Take care. Have a great day.